Welcome to Conversations With. My name is Shaylee Hugendorn and I live with Bipolar 2 Disorder. Sharing with others is healing both individually and collectively. Sharing our stories will educate others, bring more understanding, shed more light and smash more stigma. Our voices need to be heard. Our stories aren't over yet. This is Bipolar. Hi everyone and welcome back to This is Bipolar. I am your host, Shaylee Hugendorn. My pronouns are she, her. I live on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people, which is also known as Vancouver, Canada. And I am a mom. If you're first time here, I am a wife. I'm a I am a mental health advocate, that's why we're here, and I live with bipolar 2 disorder. And I am really excited to introduce, and you all know that usually I get people to introduce themselves because I get nervous and mess everything up, but I have it written down, so we're good to go. I'm going to do an, um, an official introduction. So here we go. I'm so excited to have Elizabeth Nguyen. She is MD, born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii. Her parents were refugees from Vietnam who arrived in Honolulu in 1975 at the end of the Vietnam War. She received her BA from Stanford University in Human Biology, her MD from Northwestern University, and her psychiatry residency and child psychiatry fellowship training at UC Davis. She started her career in community mental health with specific interests in cross-cultural psychiatry. The intersection of spirituality, mental health, and the healing power of water and the natural world. She is currently in private practice in Davis, California. Aloha Vietnam, which is a book we're going to talk all about, is her first novel. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. I am, I always check in and people like to know where I'm at because you can tell the different podcasts, but where my moods are at. So as I've been telling people lately, I'm in a slightly raised hypomanic state. And so what I usually do is I ask for a one word check-in. And then because one word is hard, I'd usually do a sentence to explain it. So today I am skited, which means scared and excited. <laughs> and so that's all the things. And um, it's because it's the first time I'm having someone on that doesn't live with bipolar disorder. And it's the first time I'm having someone on that is a psychiatrist. And I'm really excited because this is someone I trust. I've read the book and I really trust Elizabeth and I want to share all her knowledge with you. So Elizabeth, I would love to hear your one word check-in coming into our, our talk today. My one word check-in is grateful. I'm really grateful to be here, Shaylee. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And thank you for your trust in, in being here and speaking, you know, as a psychiatrist, I don't have bipolar, but I have family members that do. Mm -hmm. I work with clients with bipolar very regularly. So I, I feel like they're a population that I, I have a lot of experience and and intimacy and and real I really love them I really love bipolar we're pretty awesome I mean it's 
That's amazing. Another reason why I wanted to do um, this interview is because it is AAPI month, which is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And so I wanted to highlight, I've been highlighting on Instagram, but I wanted to also highlight, you know, writers and doctors and all folks for us to, um, yeah, just be more aware. I was trying to read about a little bit more about it, but facts are hard. But I know that the reason they picked this month is because there's some um, significant historical things. It talked about um, Japanese immigration and there was another another event. So I really encourage people to go out there and learn and listen from uh, those with AAPI heritage. And Elizabeth, I am really, really, really excited. I just wanted to say to my listeners, some of the things that we'll talk about, as per usual, on this podcast can be activating. So please, please, please take care of yourself. Take the deep breaths that you need if you need to walk away and come back. Or if this is something that is um, really not feeling well for you, feel free to come back and listen to a, a different episode. I just wanted to say that because we really talk about hard things. So let's get started. I am very, very excited because there are not, in my personal opinion, a lot of fiction books um, that actually represent bipolar well or that I can see myself in or that I can feel um, doesn't uh, play with the stereotypes um, uh, of bipolar disorder or what we see in um, the media. And so Elizabeth has written Aloha Vietnam. And I read it, Elizabeth, in like two days. I was I I just loved it so so much. And so um, I don't want to read the back. I would love for you to just tell me what is this book about and what inspired you to write it. Thank you, thank you for reading Aloha Vietnam. So Aloha Vietnam is the story of a Vietnamese American refugee family that leaves Vietnam and settles onto settles into Hawaii. And it not only follows their family's journey of migration and immigration and adjusting to new life in a new land and new culture, but also their family's journey of their, their daughter, their firstborn daughter, Aang, developing, you know, manic symptoms in her senior year of high school as she's working on a watercolor art project, watercolor art series. And then her being hospitalized and diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And then her and her family are all of a sudden thrown into the world of mental health treatment and recovery. And, you know, as, a, as I said, as, as someone who has had family members go through this journey, as someone who has walked with family members and, and patients going through this journey as a psychiatrist, I just felt like I wanted to share the this, this, this story, not only of what it's like to, to live and with a diagnosis like this initially, you know, the, the span of the book covers maybe the first few years of her diagnosis. Um, because I see every day in my work as a psychiatrist, like the, the, the heroes and heroines of mental illness every day, the, the journey they take and I feel like it's so often hidden behind closed doors and we don't really get to honor and, and, and celebrate and acknowledge what a journey these people go through. And I felt like I wanted to just share that story um, and especially, especially for a cross-cultural you know, background as well, like what it's like for 
a family that's not used to these mental health terms to go through this journey as well. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. I loved how beautifully the the story was about on and her mental health and her, you know, her diagnosis, but also you were able to weave in this whole cultural aspect and this whole different, different way. I was just amazed how you could do that. I'm like, she could doctor, writer. It was, it wasn't the main, it's the main part, but not the main part. Do you know what I mean? I feel like a lot of books just are like, um, focus on like the the most sensationalized part of it, like a, a huge manic episode, and they've done something terrible. And I understand that these things happen, but it's actually not the norm to be violent among us, us <laughs> bipolar folk. But I really was fascinated um, with just this idea of the cultural difference and the it's kind of almost a love story between the mother mother and daughter and I'm just wondering if you could speak to kind of um just in the book and just what you wanted to get across with that um almost like misunderstanding or confusion and sometimes there's almost um pushback right with Amer with um you know American medicine when when it's misunderstood and I thought you did it really beautifully I've had some people um, come on here, specifically um, Jess from Bipolar Comedy Club, and she talked about her culture in Malaysia, how, you know, um, her, it, it, her, how they might have thought in her culture that she was um, possessed or different things like that. But you held it very carefully in that not to say that this is like you made us understand how the mom was feeling and that it wasn't just, you know, uh, uh, a mean kind of reaction and so I just love to hear about just a little bit more about about that that was sure. a really no, there, question no no there there were so many themes um that I wanted to include in the story and I don't want to leave them all out so I, I, thank you for for receiving that there are sort of multi-dimensional layers to this book but one of the main themes was this intergenerational healing and understanding between parents and their children. So the book is written from two different perspectives, alternating between the point of view of Aing the adolescent and her mother, Swan, and what it's like for them for Aing to receive this diagnosis. And, you know, in my work as a child psychiatrist, I've worked with many families and many Asian families or cross-cultural families navigating this journey and that's one of my greatest uh, healing sort of things that I hold for families is, is to help them understand each other's perspective because it is so different. It's so different for the teenager going through this and it's so different for the parents going through this and both of them are being affected by this major life experience. Um, and, and the cultural piece around, around the mother and the swan sort of interpretation of like, did she cause this? Was this her fault by bringing the family to America? Was this her karma? Was there something she had done wrong? And the shame around, you know, her daughter being diagnosed. What, what did this mean about her family and their, their, you know, their, their goodness and their honor? You know, those are all things that I often hear about in, in families. Um, 
in Asian families when they when they deal with mental illness or don't deal with mental illness. So I, I wanted to bring all of that richness in. And I, I also just want to highlight what you said around, you know, this this story is really just a story of of living. Like your your podcast is like, how do people live with bipolar? Like it, there doesn't need to be a sensational anything, a plot around. I really feel like there's such a beautiful story with every human's life and especially people with struggling with mental mental illness. Those stories are not often heard or celebrated. They're often, you know, demonized or stigmatized and, and shamed. So I wanted to create like a beautiful story about having bipolar. And I wanted people to really you know, feel connected to the characters and, and to feel them deeply and, and to really know that they are like heroines. And that came across so, so beautifully because it is raw and real. It, um, what, the way you describe how honest feeling, um, I'm not going to give away, away parts of it, but it does, you know, it does start with the, the hospitalization. So it isn't, it isn't toxically positive, but yet inspiring and warm and almost reassuring. Like we can live alongside this. I find like what you're saying, like the sensationalized stories or the stories that we hear a lot of times that I would, you know, that I was wading through um, when I first got diagnosed is just this very much telling of it almost like as if it's over or conquered or, or something. And I didn't find, um, I didn't find that helpful because I was trying to grapple with the idea that, you know, it, it isn't curable. We can manage 100%. Can we flourish? Yes, but it is, it is a job and it is a, something we are going to have to do um, for the rest of our lives, unless there is a cure. And before I just felt kind of stuck before I could accept that. It's almost like that was such a scary thought, but yet a, a, a freeing thought. And I love in here too how it wrestles through therapy and it also wrestle, wrestles through um, you know the medication part because it they're not sure about it and um, like many of us bipolar folk when we're in things or when we start to feel better there's a temptation to to stop taking our medicine um, and so I wanted to hear a little bit about um, just you work with a lot of children and families. I'd love to hear more about your approach um, when you have folks coming in. Do you, have you had more experiences with diagnosing or more like families dealing with, or is it the, the whole thing? And can you tell me a little bit about it? Sure. You know, um, I, I've had experience with the whole thing. When I was in my training and early on in my career, when I used to work in the inpatient uh, facilities, I would have more, you know, experience with like the actual initial hospitalization and stabilization and diagnosis. Um, now that I'm in private practice and I'm not like on the front lines of the hospitals, I, um, you know, I still work with a variety of, of patients on all differing stages of their journey, like newly diagnosed where, you know, I actually just had a client who, um, she came to me when she was depressed and then two months later had her first bipolar manic episode hospitalization and it was eerily familiar to Aloha Vietnam. Um, and, and then I have 
patients who have come to me who, you know, have been diagnosed years ago and are, are kind of considering like, like trying to make sense of like, do I still have it? Like, what does this mean? And I, I think that also is a, a theme I wanted to explore in the book, which is that everyone's journey with bipolar or any mental health diagnosis is, is uniquely your own. And, and like the, these guidelines, these, you know, these diagnoses, these, you know, sort of trajectories are helpful to help you get a sense of what to, to expect, but everyone's story and, and experience is uniquely their own. And so my main orientation when I work with someone is really helping them to make sense of, of their individual experience and journey. I don't care what anyone else tells you, you know, you have or what to do. I am most interested in how you are experiencing life and how that feels for you and what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Yeah. Um, and and, and Aang wrestles with that in the book. Like she's like, every doctor is con seems intent on reminding me and almost like telling me you have bipolar. Like, yeah. and I don't know yet if that feels like right to me, you know, I understand I need to take medications right now, but I don't know if that really means I have something that I want to call bipolar. And I work with a variety of patients where sometimes it is helpful to, to say I have bipolar. And for some people, they, they don't like that term. So yeah, yeah, exactly. I was just thinking that part that you were talking about is one of the parts that I marked. And she, uh, says she, she talks about just trying to grapple with do I have this is this a thing and why it wasn't it didn't seem helpful for her at the time to be reminded because it was reminding her of this shame and this grappling and and who she was and my sense was the community was small-ish in that she went to the it was it just the one mental hospital that was on on the oh, island. Yeah, yeah. There's only one. There's only one. I think yeah. there's two now, but I think there was only one. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I I resonated with that a lot. I went in wanting help and knowing something was wrong. So my story is very different that way. But just that um idea of being in the space to be reminded and reminded. And yet it's almost like this balance because you I think it's really important to understand that you have it, but then the reminder, and I was just thinking totally not to do with the podcast. I mean, with the book, but with the podcast, I was thinking about that line. It really stuck with me because I, this is my greatest um, joy, really, as hard as it is, is to do this podcast. But also I think about my bipolar disorder 1 million times more than I did before the podcast, which is beautiful because it's a part of me, but it's also, it's also hard because it's not all of me. And I mm. find that it's just, it's just a really um, tricky illness because there are like, when you have one thing, right? Like you're depressed and that is your one thing, but because we go through the exact opposite thing. And then in the middle, have you make periods where you're symptom free? It's, it's just really hard to go through that. And I would like to encourage and 
people when you do if you can have the privilege of going to therapy or um if even with your regular doctor you said someone came to you when they were depressed and then had a manic episode well my, I took till my 30s to get diagnosed because I would only go for help when I was depressed. Do you find that happening? And um, how could we, uh, could, how do we encourage folks or what would be helpful to bring to you if someone was maybe thinking that they had, uh, uh, had bipolar, but they were only in one or the other of the episodes? Like what would help you um, diagnose or yeah you know I think this is where growing up with people in my family who had bipolar disorder gave me such a more nuanced view of bipolar that I, I kind of like I witnessed what the prodromal sort of cycles were and sort of like the things that would be subclinical but were indicative of a bipolar diagnosis I witnessed that. So I think as a psychiatrist, when I screen people for bipolar, I, I, I kind of like can get a flavor for yeah. when they're describing things that feel bipolar to me. You know, like there are criteria for what bipolar is, but again, it's very clinical. It's very, you know, so much of psychiatry is checkbox symptoms, which is sometimes helpful, but actually the human experience of this is what is most important. And I feel that when you live with someone who has bipolar, you, you kind of get a sense of what the flavor is. And so as a psychiatrist, I know what a bipolar flavor is. Yeah, yeah. And and that, you know, is is helpful. Not saying that like every psychiatrist has to, because you know, I know that different flavors of of you know, depression without bipolar or schizophrenia or autism. And I didn't grow up with anyone in my family with that. You gain it over time. So I would say that psychiatrists, a good psychiatrist will be able to not only hear how you're presenting now, but hopefully try to get a flavor of how this current episode fits into your overall landscape of your life. Um, and try to get a flavor of like what what this means, like what this means in terms of diagnosis or treatment. Yeah, yeah. I tell me if this is good. I try not to give advice, but try, tell me if this is. I say this all the time, and I'm curious if it's if you would agree with it. But I talk to people about generally, especially I speak a lot to bipolar two disorder because that's what I live with, and that is more misdiagnosed and more misunderstood because of the hypomania and kind of the tip I give is that if you like even if you're listening right now and you think this is something you're dealing with or um uh, you know you want to look into it my like kind of advice is try and um have information or or even write down or I know when we're hypomanic we can't write down like record voice record um just to how um a year would go for you or even yes. a few months if you rapid cycle or fast cycle because a lot of times with bipolar 2 disorder we only go in when we're depressed and if we don't know anything about bipolar disorder many of us get diagnosed and put on SSRIs which we know um for me personally uh uh brought on a hypomanic um episode which eventually got the diagnosis but is it helpful when I say to people you know bring in um you know examples of other times 
not, you know, absolutely. So I think when you go in to see, you know, your psychiatrist or your therapist, um, they're going to, they're going to try to understand what's going on right now. Yeah. But then having that longitudinal, okay, tell me what's been going on for the last few weeks, few months, a few years. If you can have more sort of, you know, perspective around that. And I know like when you're depressed, you might not be able to be the best historian or, or when you're manic or around all of that. But, but if you're really curious about your diagnosis or really, this is something you're concerned about, obviously your listeners listening to this are, you know, having, having that longitudinal data will help you and your clinician come up with, you know, the best way to, to help you feel you know, more stable. I was like, (laughs) what? I also um, found it really helpful. And I'm curious if you would find this helpful. I recommend that people also get like their closest person Mm -hmm. to kind of, because we can't, you can't see it when you're in it and pre-medication and pre-treatment, you're, I am so in all of the feelings that I am feeling like, I have a hard time seeing other perspectives. I have a hard time noticing things about about my behavior. Also, it's so tricky because it's a brain. It tricks me into seeing something a way that it might not have really actually been. And I don't mean so much. I know some people experience psychosis, but um, just I don't see it the same way. And in my memory, like I, of all the amazing things that can happen, I take away the worst part of it. So I have to have my people remind me of the other parts and you can do this. I didn't want to read what my husband or or said or wrote just because I was hard enough on myself. I didn't, I, I had a pretty good idea about how I already affected his life. So would you think it was helpful to have someone's person either write something, or I don't know if you allow them to come with you or is that, I try to tell people that, is that something that you think is important? I do think it's super helpful if um, someone who knows you very well and who you believe really has your best interest, you trust them. If you really you know, value their, their information on what they observe, yeah. what they see over the course of you know, weeks and months and years, that is super helpful in, in coming up with an accurate diagnosis and treatment. And um, you know, in the States, it's, it's completely up to the adult patient if who they want to bring in. So, you know, if they want to bring in you know, a family member or a partner to the, to provide at least a little information yeah. during part of the assessment, that's, that's totally valuable. Hey everyone, as you know, I've done a collaboration with Flourish Stoneware. My friend, Lara made these semicolon earrings starting on World Mental Health Day. And we know that the semicolon represents in a sentence that the author is not finished. And so in the mental health community and people that have struggled with mental illness and or suicide ideation thoughts or attempts, that it means our story isn't over yet and your story isn't over yet. These earrings are still available at flourishstoneware.com. I am wearing the latest color from the spring collection, which is a blush. And these are the large ones. There are small ones. And there's even a really cool like seafoam marbled one that you can get. So go to flourishstoneware.com 
also know that partial proceeds goes to jack.org, which is an organization in Canada that raises the voices of youth and mental health awareness. So if you buy them, I'd love to see pictures. Tag us, tag at this.is.bipolar and at Flourish Stoneware, because we would love to see you wear them. Back to the show. I am very curious. Um, I'm actually uh, really hopeful because many folks are getting diagnosed younger because I was 32. That's a lot of years, right? Um, I am curious if you could tell us what symptoms to watch out for, because I know um, you might know the percentages more than me, but uh, bipolar runs in families, right? So for folks like me, that is a, that is a parent right now, I'm parenting teenagers, um, what are some things we can look out for? Because uh, we we know with hormones and everything, te- teenagers are already moody and dramatic, <laughs> and, right? So I think that's why my parents missed it too, right? Like you, it's hard to separate. So what could we look for in a teenager and in a in a young adult for um, symptoms? Yeah, such a great question, and um, there's so much I want to say about that. First and foremost, bipolar is heavily genetic, it is heavily hereditary. So family family history of it, one or both parents with it, is it, is it one of the biggest sort of risk factors for, for children developing or, de- or having symptoms as well. So I would say that if you or yourself, uh, you or your, your partner has bipolar and you have children, like that's just something for you to be, or family history of it, something for you yeah. just to kind of keep in the back of your mind that you know it's something to look out for. I would say, First, I also want to add to that. Mm. It's great that we're catching bipolar earlier. And I feel like we're actually changing the trajectory of bipolar. I, I know there is a lot of um, controversy around overdiagnosing bipolar these days yeah. in young children. And I, that is something, a concern we need to, to also temper and balance. Yes. We don't want to overdiagnose ADHD yeah. and bipolar and autism. Yes. But in, I think with a thoughtful assessment and clinician, I, I've seen, you know, again, teenagers with flavors of, of, of bipolar where if they're treated early, we never really, I haven't seen them develop a full-blown manic episode, which wow. again, I don't have a crystal ball to know like whether they would have anyways. Yes. But I do, so I feel that it's, again, it's a very evolving um, diagnosis where there's a genetic biological predisposition to it, but it's not a one-on-one. It doesn't mean that if you have a family member with it, you're going to develop it. And I don't think we even know what all the risk factors are if if yeah. someone will, will definitely always develop it or not if they, you know, uh, have the biological loading for it. It's one of those things that I think where the epigenetics of it is really important. And that's a term where, you know, they have the genetic, you might have a genetic predisposition to, to have the ability to manifest bipolar, but that doesn't mean you have a hundred percent chance of expressing it. And what are the ways in which we can change that trajectory where you may not express it, or you may not express it as as severely as a different trajectory. So I would say that for, for parents of children where they're concerned of like, what should we be watching out for? 
you know, I think it's like good parenting in general. You're watching out for like how your kid is developing, not just physically, but emotionally and psychologically. Like what, what is their temperament? Like what is their mood swings? Like, like, do they get really down and depressed and darker than just feeling sad? Do they get explosively angry and irritable all of a sudden? And they stay that way for days and weeks. More than just a typical teenage, like, yeah, oh, I'm kind of moody and I'm upset that you know you took my phone away. Sometimes <laughs> it is hard for parents to know the difference, but I would say that you know the, the greater the distress and stress your family is experiencing is one of the biggest markers for just something is going on that might need just you know someone, maybe a professional to, to give an opinion. Because at the end of the day, when, when people come to me with, you know, a teenager who's experiencing a lot of symptoms and distress, I can't definitively say you have bipolar either, right. but I can tell how much problems this is causing you in your life. Yes. I can tell like how much, whatever it is you're experiencing is causing you and your family stress, concern, worry, problems. And that's my main concern is like, okay, there's something going on and it doesn't matter so much if we can figure it out right now, whether it's just depression or bipolar, but like your family needs support and help. So let's, let's start kind of paying attention to your mental health symptoms and let's figure it out. And that's where I think sometimes we do, um, I think catch bipolar early and these kids don't necessarily have a full-blown manic episode. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're giving coping skills so early. I find that so confusing to explain to people. <laughs> it is. Um, it's nuanced. Just be- yeah. Just because, okay. So you have a, you know, just because you aren't born with it. Right. But then it is a, a brain illness. And from what I understand, it's, it isn't like other, um, mental illnesses where it isn't necessary because it's genetic it isn't brought on by trauma specifically yeah yeah but, um it, it like it's there which was kind of comforting to me because I was always confused because I didn't have any big t trauma in my life so so and I always thought that some of that was brought on but I did um, love what you said about the severity, because that's the other thing that's hard to explain about bipolar disorder, right? It's the it's the severity and how much it affects the family unit. Mm-hmm. And so I know these are really, because everyone's journey is different, I know these are really hard questions to ask. So just, you know, in your experience, um, I know I have a lot of parents on here yeah. that are very worried. Um, and maybe those parents are me. <laughs> that, um, so I have bipolar disorder. I'm doing my best. Yes. I'm managing. I, I have a team, but I am not going to lie to you. It affects my life. It affects my life. I am hypomanic right now. I can tell I get more anxious, a little bit more controlling. Um, I'm, uh, my kids can feel my it it comes off as indecisiveness whereas hypomanic used to be like impulsive but now because I know I'm hypomanic I'm like overthinking all my choices and this and mm-hmm. that and 
sometimes um, I have a lot of folks say, well, you know, you have the disorder, so you're going to be able to help your children that much more. And that is true <laughs> because as parents, we have talked about mental health and mental illness since they were little. We've talked about symptoms in an age appropriate way. And we've also, I flat out told them when they became teenagers, like, you know, this is something to watch for, but you can manage. But what the question, the long-winded question, this is the theme of the day, <laughs> is um, how, like, how can we, like, comfort or um, encourage folks that are in these episodes? How can we um, encourage them or find like, what is the best thing we can do when we're in those episodes with our children? Is it the best for me to one, tell them and tell them I'm, you know, how badly I'm struggling or I struggle with, do I just tell them, but be like, uh, you know, like kids, you're their rock, right? To so be like, but I got this, you know, like I struggle between, between that because all I have to come back and do a, a lot of apologizing for things that happen in the moment or I have to ask for extra grace but my fear right now is that I'm uh, that I'm going to make them worry too much like should I yeah tell me about like yes let me let me respond to that let me respond to that first of all I just want to reflect to you that you even asking this question and you reflecting on it shows already what a conscientious parent you are. So, so parents who like ask me about advice about, like, I really want to make sure I'm like not like doing, I'm doing this right, that I'm not like doing too much or too little one way. And I really worry about how this is gonna impact my kids. Like even just listening to them, I'm like, first of all, let me just let you tell you, like I already can tell like what, like, how much concern you are taking about how your own parenting, how your own experience affects your kids, which already gives me, lets you know that you have a degree of self-awareness and self-reflection that you have an impact on your kids and you want to minimize any harm around that. So I feel like you already embodying that already speaks volumes as to what a parent you are. So I, there's like this, in child psychiatry, there's this term of good enough parenting that I, I tell so many of my parents around, like, I just want you to be in the strike zone of good enough parenting. Parenting is not meant to be perfect. You know, if, if you're totally screwing it up and I need to call child protective services, that's what they call CPS or, you know, yeah. for child abuse here in America, I will let you know, <laughs> you yeah. know, that is a problem. Yeah. And, but if you are kind of in the realm of good enough parenting, which Sounds like you are just even just hearing you ask that question. You're in the strike zone of good enough parenting. I want you to relax. I want you to relax because there's so much anxiety. We have a pandemic of anxiety these days in our parents, in our kids, everywhere. And if we can lower anxiety in general about are we doing things right? Are we doing enough? Are we doing things well enough? Then, then that's going to just help kids and parents everywhere. It's like just relaxing that anxiety around parenting. Because at the end of the day, parent, there's no one right way to parent yes. your child. You inevitably, you are your parent's child. Your child is, is your child. You guys will have a unique relationship that no other parent and child will have. And you can read all the parenting books out there and all the 
expert advice on everything. But at the end of the day, you and your parent, you and your child, and you and your, your parent have this unbreakable bond to, 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 to grow and, and teach each other and care for one another. And what works for you and your child is what is most important. Mm -hmm. And you trusting that you just having the best intentions for that and staying in that zone of good enough parenting, which, you know, I wish I could define it for you, like, but there's so yeah, many different ways that, that, you know, good enough parenting means showing up, yeah. showing up to, to, to care for your child, showing up to do your own work, showing up to know that you have a responsibility to this child, but that you also have an impact on this child and just continuing to pay attention, to pay attention to what works and what doesn't work. So, I, so to, that's sort of the big level answer to get kind of hone in on what you were asking is like, when I'm struggling through an episode and I'm having like some, some mental health struggles, like how much do I kind of share that with my kids? I don't want to overburden them with it, but I yeah. want to kind of explain to them what's going on. I would say, again, there's a real, there's a real good enough range around responsive to that. There's no one perfect thing you need to do. And you trying different things out and seeing what works for you and your family unit and responding, if it works well, to share a little bit, to just to kind of clue them in, like, mommy, mommy's a little stressed right now. That's why I'm being a little shorter with you. I need a little space. That might be helpful. But then noticing maybe sometimes when you overshare and you start like, you know, telling them too much that you notice that they're kind of feeling a little burdened by that yeah. and you noticing and paying attention to that and being like, Oh, you know, I think I overshared that time, like readjust to myself. It's this mindful attention to the interactions and relationship and impact you're having with your children and adjusting on a day-to-day -day basis, just as you're adjusting with yourself as to how you live with your bipolar. I think, I, I, that's how I really guide um, my clients and parents is, is really trusting in themselves to pay attention and know how to adjust and knowing that as long as they stay in that realm of good enough parenting, you're going to be okay. Yeah. I always joke, don't give me world's best anything. I, if you're going to get me a mug, I'd love world's okayest mom that I can, I can do that. I can do that. And I don't know if this is right, but I, I was talking to someone about ACE scores, which is trauma scores. Um, and they said something along the lines, and I've held on to it so deeply, is something about 70% of the time, if you can, mm. you know, do well, and then 30. And so this is someone because, right, like, we can tell a neurotypical parent, like, try not to be anxious about it, try not to worry. But when that's like your main symptom, it's like, uh, how do I, I, I do such? Um, and I really worry because they say, you know, children borrow off calm nervous systems. And I'm like, well, great. I am a terrible parent because I, calming my nervous system is one of the hardest thing. How am I to teach my children if I'm not? And um, yeah, so I love the way you said that. And I, I want to, you know, piggyback on that. I try to think of it as like, you know, this is my, this is my 70% and not to focus on maybe the 30, 
percent where and I don't mean abusive but I mean like just maybe messing up or just you know not not doing that I used to beat myself up about it and be like they're going to be ruined they have a bipolar parent you know all that mean voice in, in their head but what helps me is be like oh you know that's the 30 percent what was the 70 percent and I feel like I I feel like I can I can do that and then the funny thing is because my kids are older I've won almost graduating so I'm launching them into adulthood hardest stage ever in my personal opinion um they're all hard but uh they now we talk about it so much that my daughter's like yeah that there that was like in your 30 (laughs) percent I'm like that's so great that shows that she feels so comfortable like calling you out on it and that she's gonna she's gonna know that like it's okay to not be perfect either which is so helpful for our younger generation yeah, you know, with all the demands on them to know that they they can they can just be themselves and not be perfect all the time either. Yeah. And another thing I tell my my parents, especially who worry about this, is is that you know this is what I also wanted to explain in my book is that we are all trying our best. Like each generation is trying our best to inherit what we got and improve it for the next generation. So there's no blame game here. Yeah. It's you know, like, I will speak for myself. Like I, I had a very anxious mother and a very anxious grandmother. And I think I inherited a lot of that anxiety just through them, but understanding where it came from because of like their own family history and, and their own life circumstances and acknowledging like they did their best And I'm doing my best to manage my anxiety, to not pass it on to my kids. But it's inevitable that like we pass on like our genetics, we pass on our, you know, ancestral line. And and as long as we're just trying to improve things for the next generation, um, you know, again, that's, that's, that's the main thing. That's, that takes a lot of the pressure off because I get stuck in the cycle of blaming you know, you know, that harsh inner critic when I'm depressed or even hypomanic sometimes, if I can have reflective capacity, just that it's, it's my fault. It's my fault. And I, I love, and I always am thinking it's because of having bipolar disorder, but I think, like you said, everyone passes on something. And I love that Brene Brown, right? Like everyone that coming from the belief that everyone's doing the best they can. And I say that to my kids sometimes too. I'm like, well, I've never parented an almost 18 year old before. So, you know, I'm just trying my best and I'm the parent. So we're going to do this, right? Um, Back to the kid, the telling your kids. So I think that because of stigma, that people are very like uh, hide and shame. And a lot of people never, ever tell anyone they have bipolar disorder or maybe just their close people. Um, and that is everyone's own own choice. But I think that I, I don't think that it's a bad thing to tell your kids. In fact, I think it would help them understand a lot of things. And a lot of people that I say, well, that's going to, you know, ruin my kids or put some more shame on them. Um, could you speak to that? Like tell your kids and could you like as an elementary school teacher, I think there's age appropriate ways from very young in, in my opinion, but am I, you mean to tell them specifically about a bipolar diagnosis? Yeah. 
Or, I mean, I started with anxiety, I explained, or I talked about how I feel things differently. Like, I think it's age appropriate, but there are some people that, um, that say like, I don't think, I, you know, do you think I should tell my child? And I say, I'm not a doctor, duh, 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 but I yeah. think that I would, I would have wanted, I think it helps explain your experience to, ki to kids, but tell yeah. Me. So I'm going to answer this pretty much the same way I answered the previous question, which is that it's a personal choice and there's no right or wrong that, you know, I think, um, for some parents, it feels like really important for them to do that. And it feels like that is helpful to their relationship with their children. And I would say that to, 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 to honor that, to trust that instinct. And I would say for other parents who feel like for whatever reason that, you know, I don't want to share that for what, um, that that's okay too. I, I think sharing like the actual diagnosis maybe, you know, is, is personal decision, but I think the yeah. more, communication there is between parents and children in general is going to be healthier so so honoring you know if you really do feel like I just want to be more open and transparent with my kids yeah. um I think that's that's really yeah. totally fine you know that that could be very helpful yeah and and a lot of times, like in my personal experience, I'm the first, you can look back and you can see things in your family. And because I'm the first one that sought healing or sought help, for me, it would have been really helpful for us to talk about mental health and mental illness in, in any way and help, help me look for it. Do you, do you know what I mean? So I'm, yeah, uh, that's really, really important to me. Yes. Thank you. That was like my own session. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Yes. You know, every, everything you ask, I know it's going to be helpful totally. for someone. So. Exactly. Yeah. And just so that people know, I am incorporating the questions that a lot of people have asked. There are so many. So um, yeah, I, uh, we won't be able to answer all of them, but I'm really hoping to keep, to keep in contact. Um, I would love to hear what, in your opinion, what do you think, um, what are the, what are some of the biggest stigmas or the stigmas that you would like to dispel for our listeners that maybe don't have bipolar disorder, maybe have a loved one, um, et cetera. What, what do you think are some of the, the biggest ones that you'd like to dispel for us? Mm, yeah, just the biggest myths or stigmas yeah. or bipolar. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think as I spoke about in the book, you know, bipolar is still feels like a really heavy term and diagnosis for people. Like when I say that to parents and, and families, I, I can feel them be like, oh, like, does that mean she has bipolar or yeah. And, and what does that mean? And so I think some of the biggest stigmas around it is that it is like a terrible illness that means, you know, that you're going to suffer the rest of your life, which, you know, I think it, it is a challenge, just like being diagnosed with anything is a challenge, but it doesn't mean you have a lifelong, you know, diagnosis that means you're going to, to struggle and, 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 and suffer and suffer the rest of your life, you know? And it also doesn't mean that you're gonna continue to be re-hospitalized or you're gonna need to stay on medications for the rest of your life or that, you know, you can't have a normal functional life. I, I think 
all of those things are are not true of having bipolar. Like, yes, it is it is a big diagnosis that you need to, you know, process around what does this mean for me and how does this mean for my life? But you can continue to function and, and have a very meaningful, um, successful life. And so I think just kind of like, you know, dispelling the stigma around it being a very like terminal sort of life altering. I mean, I don't want to minimize it because it is life altering. For sure. But it's it's not a life ending. I like that. Yeah. It it's um yeah, I don't wanna I don't wanna speak into it because I don't, I don't have a bipolar diagnosis. I don't really, even though I work so intimately with people, I can't speak yeah. so personally about what it feels like to have that diagnosis and how it feels. Um, in order, like what kind of a life-changing event that feels like for people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to minimize that. But I know working with patients who have bipolar, I don't see it stopping them from having the life they want. Mm. And I think I think that is something that I really want listeners or people to like the stigma around it, like to feel like, you know, they have to hide it because they, they don't want other people to, to make assumptions about them or they have to limit yeah. what they do because of it. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's and like, it, yeah. As someone that does live with it, 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 it's kind of a line too, right? Because I know there are some people that can't work mm-hmm. and I know there are some people. So do I know That's that true. you can manage and that you can um, have a beautiful life? It might look different for you. And it might look different, um, depending on your severity, depending on your treatment, if you have treatment resistance or changing meds. And that is okay. I know, uh, I can feel um, Elizabeth's heart. And I know that I don't want anyone right now that has is in bed. And that is the best that they can do um, to feel like you're not living out you know, your purpose, you, it just might be a time that you, that, that is happening and, or it, maybe it's okay that you don't work or that you don't put those pressures because the more we manage and deal with it, those things might, might open up. And so, um, on top of that, I would just, I would just encourage you to just relentlessly pursue healing in a way that it works for you and in your journey. And yes, so many of, um, my dreams have come true. So many, I've done so many things, but it honestly does limit things in some ways. And knowing that and building my life around that makes a more beautiful life for me. So it's kind of the both and, right? Like totally. I can do the things and I also find it helpful to, um, I also, for me personally, I find it helpful to be like, okay, um, it it is limiting, but when I understand those limits, I can work around them. We're so creative and we're so, um, think differently and feel differently. We might just, you might just have to, um, yeah, just think of it a little bit differently just for, just for, um, my folks out there that, you know, maybe going from your bed to your couch is all you can do right now. And that is enough. Yeah, Shirley, I want to respond to so many things that you just said there around, um, 
you know, I, I think it's good to acknowledge that bipolar can be a very disabling and debilitating condition. So not to minimize that, yeah. but it's also one of the most treatable conditions in psychiatry. Yes. So when, when someone is willing to accept treatment. So yeah. it, is, it is also, I think I want to, you know, let, let people know that like it is very treatable and it is very manageable. And when you say that, you know, you do have to adjust your life to living with it, I, I, it makes me think that, you know, life may not be as you have thought it would be or wanted it to be. Yeah. I would say that's life in general. Like, it's true. whether you have bipolar or not, we always, we all have like this vision of how we want our life to be. And it, it's, it may not turn out that way, yeah. but that doesn't stop us from living life. Yeah and living the best life that we can have. Yeah. And I think about someone like, like who ends up being paralyzed or like loses a limb in an accident. Their whole life as they imagined it might change. What they can or cannot do might need to be adjusted or modified. Yeah. They can keep living and they can still keep living a very meaningful life. Yes. I would say the same thing with bipolar is, yes, it may dramatically alter your life, mm. but you can still keep living it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's powerful. So hold on, my friends, if you're struggling or in the depths of things, I don't know when or how, but things can get better. And that gives the, just that you said that that is treatable, right? I get a lot of messages almost every single day, like, is my life over? Can I do this? And I and I just, yeah, just want to, I'm going to reiterate that, that it is tr treatable. That's, that's really beautiful and helpful. Thank you. Another question that I get um, and came through in a lot of the messages on Instagram was, if you are someone that loves someone with bipolar disorder, what are some of the, and I know it's going to be situational, but what are, is some of the things you would offer for them? To, like they want things that they can, you know, uh, say or do. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. First of all, I just want to give them a lot of love and support yeah. because you know, that's a big, it's a big uh, task of, of having someone in your life that struggles with a major, you know, mental health condition that, you know, you need to take care of yourself yes. um, and your own self-care just, just to be that support person for someone in your life yeah. and, and to, to validate, you know, your own self-care around that. Yeah. Um, I would say as, as like a support person for someone with bipolar and again, like in any partnership, but like in, 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 especially for that, you, you are such an important part of their, their wellness. And so like we started off by saying, is it helpful to bring that person in to provide, um, you know, information about what they observe in the same way you are like on the front lines of observing, what your loved one with bipolar is going through. You may be the first one to see things and be like, oh, I kind of see that you're kind of like, you know, starting to, to ramp up. Maybe we should, you know, be a little extra diligent about sleep or something, or maybe we, we should take some things off your plate right now because I can see you ramping up. So, 
you know, if you love someone and, and you're going to be going on them with their, their journey, you know, you're going to be like their frontline person yes. around helping them manage it. So, mm -hmm. so you having that communication be open around like how, like, you know, how can we be open to, to communicating around that and receiving it so that it doesn't become like a, like a source of tension or conflict yeah. in the relationship. And then, you know, for so many people where, you know, treating, successfully treating bipolar is about remaining on medications mm -hmm. for stability, you know, helping, helping them maintain stability around that. If there is some um, challenges around that, um, you said something earlier that I wanted to go back to around mm -hmm. um, just bipolar being sort of like this Oh, the stigma around it. Yeah. The stigma of feeling like it's a life ending or like condition and me saying it's treatable. I would say one of the biggest barriers to treatment mm. are people's own resistance to saying I have bipolar or taking medications. That is the hardest thing to treat. I think because there is so much stigma around yeah. mental illness or bipolar or feeling like, I don't want to have this. I don't want this to control my life. And, and, and that resistance makes it hard to treat. Yeah. And, and people are like struggling against their own yeah. selves. And, and not to say that everyone, you know, everyone gets to make their own choice about treatment and medications. And, um, but I think as we relax the stigma around bipolar and mental illness in general, it might make it easier for some people to, to be open to, okay, maybe, maybe there is something I can get help with here. Um, so that, that's heartbreaking to see yeah. is, is when I see people doing well and then, and then they get, they feel better and then they reject that they have something that needs continued monitoring and maintenance of and then they they struggle again yeah and that stigma is so I probably say it every episode but it's like if it was something that was like a physical disorder or something we could see um you know like something that you have to manage regularly like diabetes or um other things we would we would go for the help right and uh it's it's just self-stigma too like I find mm. that it stigma with mental health and mental illness specifically um is so you know deeply embedded in our culture and and um all of what we see in media and such that I had to dig out a lot of my own internal stigma to be able to really um you know get on my healing journey and just understanding that um, I kept having this mindset of when am I, you know, we, we always think when I'm, when I'm going to be better or when I'm going to be, you know, when can I get off this medicine? When can I stop doing this? And once I was able to just grasp this idea of day by day, and it's going to be ongoing. And if it's forever, it's forever. If it's helping, then I'm okay with it being forever because I would rather, um, you know, live the full life, be as healthy as I can. And so, yeah, it tricks us. Speaking to the part where you were talking about, um, you know, knowing your person, one of the things is, um, so when I am in either or, um, I have a very hard time, especially hypomanic, because we think our brain tells us that we are completely right. 
uh, with everything and that we are the best at everything. It's the weirdest feeling. Um, it's very hard. Like I am very easily agitated and I don't like it when people point things out before. So my suggestion is writing down, this has helped me so much, writing down the things that, uh, that to start noticing for each episode, right? Perfect. And then yeah. talking to my people about a safe word yeah. or a safe phrase or something that won't set me off because mm. sometimes that can make it worse because I am telling you, we are beating ourselves up more or we can't hear you because of our brain lying to us about the awesomeness that it, it can sometimes make the relationship worse. So talk about these things when uh, not in the heightened or low state, if there is a period of euthymia, obviously, if that is very far uh, in between when you are feeling, you know, the most, um, the most stable for you talk about these things because I know that um, with my partner who gets the the brunt of the agitation or anger that comes along with it, we have had to come up with things because sometimes I'm totally open. And then sometimes he'll say, have you taken your meds? And I'm like infuriated. And it's, it's our brains. Like it, it's so frustrating because I don't want to be, of course that's helpful, but like you said, find a way and talk to your people. So, um, a lot of times not telling me what I should do. Like, what do you need right now? Right. Is the most beautiful mm. question to me. And I won't always know, but at least it makes me feel, you know, like I, that, that makes me feel cared for. So find the thing that you can say or do that makes your person feel cared for. Right. Uh, that would be to go along with what you said. I, I find that. I love that. I love that. And I would just add mm. the person with 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 bipolar yeah asking the same thing of their partner like yes you need right now yeah like, as you're as you're saying this uh, like with what to how do like we be the support person for our people and i was thinking about that parent-child relationship of again yeah. of like there's no one right way to do anything it's about the constant communication and tending to this relationship and understanding each other's experience and supporting and loving each other through it. So the same with a loving partner is you guys are going through this journey together yeah. and you each have needs that are different from each other and, 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 and being able to just find the way of communicating through these ups and downs and the episodes of what, how to communicate. You're not going to get it right the first time, but you're going to keep trying. And yeah. every episode, every day, every cycle you're going to get better and better at understanding each other and communicating with each other and what each other needs through these. Like not only does, what does the person with bipolar need to get through this, but what does the person without bipolar, who's the partner need to get through this and yeah. just kind of, yeah, yeah. That continual it, dance. Yeah, it is so true. And I found in the questions too, and I know sometimes with, with me, mental illness, you know, is tricky and it is everybody's own, own, um, uh, journey and uh, you know we can't really pull apart what is bipolar and what is Shaylee and what you know what <laughs> is all those things and so I know there were a lot of questions that they wanted hard and fast answers mm. and I I would love to give those but the truth is there's not right and I know um I know that's really frustrating we have quite a big Instagram community and I get a lot of questions where they want one answer and um 
except for my experience or the the medical information that we have there's sometimes there's not a lot of exact things right and so yes keep trying um also i I just, with all the things you've said, you can have relationships, you know, like a lot of times I get so hurt by a lot of things online. Like, um, you know, I heard a podcast called, Oop, like a episode, oops, I married bipolar or people like, uh, you know, thinking that they can't have a healthy relationship. We bring a lot to the table. Like, do you know what I mean? Like I just encourage people. And like you said, you've encouraged us that we can be good parents and we can do things. And so if anything you could take from this episode is buy the book, read the book, follow Elizabeth. I'll put all the information um, in the show notes and that you can, um, there will be struggle. And, you know, you uh, may have episodes uh, again and again, but each time I, I ma- have the management and use the tools, um, it doesn't become easier, but it becomes different. And it can be hopeful and better. And I am just, um, I'm just so grateful that, that you are out in the world and that you are sharing. I'm great, so grateful for this book. I think that this is really helpful to start from a fiction standpoint to buy this for your people. If you're someone that has bipolar disorder, um, cause sometimes also reading it as someone with bipolar disorder and feeling seen, I think that's beautiful too. Cause I know for me, I find nonfiction, um, a factual, all this information about bipolar sometimes overwhelming. And I think so do, do others. So I think the book is really, really beautiful for, for that. So I will put how to get it there as well. Um, I am going to do an extra segment with Elizabeth about some practical things you can do. So when I launch the Patreon, I've been talking about, uh, please join and you'll be able to hear that. Um, but until then, uh, thank you so much for coming on here, for what you uh, do in the world, for loving those of us with bipolar and taking care of, of others and just, you know, breaking the stigma right here in this conversation about therapy and about what it might look like. Um, yeah, I just thank you for all of that. I'm so grateful that you exist and that you are doing the work that you do. Thank you so much, Shaylee, for having me on. Just having these conversations, I think, can be so healing. Just opening up our hearts and, and, and you know, thoughts and windows for people. And, and it truly is. Like, I have loved people. I love people in my life with bipolar. And I know that love is really what heals. Yes. It, it, it's, what, it's what gives us the energy and determination to keep doing what we do and so you know it's it's our greatest gift as humans is to love each other and and so yes thank you so much yeah I know that probably I have a lot of followers from the states I know probably I am going to get so many messages about they will want you as their therapist. So would you recommend going to the website um, to get more information? And I know people are going to ask me, are you taking clients? How does that work if someone wanted to connect with you? Yeah, they can check out my website. They can DM me on Instagram. Um, I have a private practice. I, I'm, I'm, I've 
mostly full. I have a few limited openings, but I'm always here as a resource. Like I, I really feel like my my mission and purpose is to direct people who want healing yes. to the right sources. So I, you know, I'm more than happy to to you know respond to people and, and hopefully help them find their their healing path. Uh, amazing. I'm also going to sort through the questions and maybe I will get a hold of you and see if you have certain resources. And so watch, um, join on the this.is.bipolar Instagram, and I will be having these discussions around these questions and asking resources from, from you. And so, yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I will be very much in contact and I hope that this was helpful to those of you listening today. This is thank Bipolar. You. Thanks again for tuning in. You can find video versions of This Is Bipolar on our YouTube channel. We also have all our previous and soon-to-be future episodes of the podcast on Apple, Podbean, Spotify, and Google Play. We spend most of our time on Instagram at this.is.bipolar. There is a vibrant community there where we have conversations and post different ideas and different strategies and we'd just love for you to join us there. It is so helpful if you enjoy our work or think it would be helpful to someone if you could like and share and save and follow us in all or any of those spaces. If you're a listener for the podcast, if you could leave a review, we would be forever grateful. Again, thank you for being here with us. Let's get the word out. Let's share lived experiences so that we can change the ideas that people have about bipolar and help those of us that live with it feel less alone. This is bipolar.